0: amazing in worship, wow, I've literally just kind of recovered. But you know, God's spirit is here. And, and as we're listening to the word this morning, I just want to encourage us to be expectant, to be expectant for God to speak and for him to move. Um, I live in a terraced house in Beeston. And um, a few years back, one of my neighbours was getting some major building work done. And uh, one day I'm at work and uh, I get a text from her. And I look at my phone and it says something like this. It says, um, hi, Susie there's a bit of a problem. Uh, My builder has accidentally drilled into your house. I don't know how bad the damage is. Dot, dot, dot. Sorry. To which I was in a meeting and I looked at my phone and I thought, what? You are joking. To which she responded, this is not a joke. Um, She says, this is literally what she said. She said, I've had a look through your letterbox and all I can see is there's plaster all over the floor. Sorry. And I was like well, this is a crazy old situation, so I drive home, I immediately call building control, and uh, it wasn't a joke. Like, yes, her builder had actually drilled into my house, not once, but twice, and there was plaster everywhere, and um, thank goodness the Victorians knew how to build houses because the house is still standing, and uh, we're still friends, so that's really good. I'll spare you all the details, but honestly, somebody surprisingly breaking into a house. Any Bible stories come to mind? Yeah, got it over here loving that. Like we're heading this morning to Luke 5, a story where we see a few friends breaking through somebody's roof to get their mate in front of Jesus. And if you're here last week, you'll know that Dave and I are in the middle of doing like a micro series called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And last week he encouraged us again to look at who Jesus is, look at what he's like, look at how compassionate and kind, and confident, powerful, gentle, steadfast. Look how he is with the vulnerable. Look how he is with the, with the powerful. And see, he did it all for us. And so today what we're going to do is we're, we're going to zoom in on a passage on this, this chapter, Luke 5. And it's, it's not long after Jesus' ministry had started. And people are starting to hear about him. We're picking up in verse 17. Here we go. One day Jesus was teaching... And Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. Right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. What a story. Many, many of you will know this story. It's very well known. It's an incredible healing story, but also we see so much in that passage about the identity of Jesus, about who he is. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, that the passage starts off by telling us that these two groups of people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and this is the first time that we hear about them in Luke's gospel. They haven't like, interacted with Jesus before, but now They're coming in their droves. They're coming from every village of Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, which was quite a long way. They've heard something of Jesus. And they're asking a similar question that we've been asking these last two weeks in a lovely way. Who is this fellow? Who is this fellow? I might start saying that myself when I meet someone. Who is this fellow? You know, who is this guy? The Pharisees, like, they're the first of many in Luke's gospel to ask this question. Who is Jesus? You can see someone's going to come up here. The crowds are asking it. The disciples are asking it. Even Herod, the corrupt ruler, is asking it. And throughout Luke's Luke's gospel, what is happening is people are asking the question, who is Jesus? And Luke is trying to do his best to tell us what he's like. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the things that we notice about Jesus as we read about him in this story. And the first thing I notice is that Jesus is trustworthy. Okay, he's trustworthy. And when I'm using the word trustworthy here, I'm not necessarily talking about or making the point that Jesus is good at keeping secrets or something like that. (laughs) I'm saying that he's trustworthy in the sense that we can place our faith and our trust in him, we can bank on him coming through. He's worthy of our trust. And can you see that it was a bit of a step of faith for those friends to take their friend to Jesus? They risked safety, they risked their dignity, and they risked getting into a right ding-dong with that homeowner. I mean, can you imagine the moment? I was annoyed enough, someone drilling through my house, but literally ripping a roof apart. They were trusting that Jesus would be able to respond. Can you see desperation? Can you see expectation? Because these guys, they definitely didn't know everything about Jesus. Like, it was early on in Jesus' ministry, but they'd heard enough that they were desperate, so desperate to get their mate in front of Jesus that their actions were absolutely audacious. Like willing to carry their mate on a mat. I don't know how far. Who knows how strong they were or weren't. You know, the crowds didn't put them off. The, the stairs didn't put them off. Maybe they even had to climb over a few roofs if it was terraced. And they literally start ripping a roof off to get their mates in front of Jesus. Such a courageous act of faith and trust in Jesus that he'd do something. And that's the faith that Jesus recognises when he responds. And he says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus acknowledges the faith. and, And the Greek word here that Jesus is using can also be translated as trust. Believing, trusting, or being faithful to someone is about having a relationship with a person. And Jesus sees the actions of the friends He's pleased with their faith. He's pleased with their trust in him. Another way of saying it is to say that they saw Jesus as trustworthy, that he could help their friend. Like, if they didn't, I mean, that's a lot of effort to go to, right? Their faith or their trust, it was just the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. I remember when I first put my relationship, my trust in Jesus as a teenager, And it's funny looking back, because um, our youth group was doing a a Holy Spirit Alpha Day, and I did not want to be there. I so didn't want to be there, but I ended up there. And um, I eventually allowed my youth leaders to pray for me. And they just gathered around me, they prayed simple prayers. And as they did, I encountered the tangible love of God in a way that I had never had before. And I remember that night, I get home, and I'm just lying in my room on my bed, and tears are streaming down my face. And I say to the Lord, I say, I don't really know everything about you. I don't understand it all, but I've seen enough, I've heard enough, and I've experienced enough, and I choose to put my trust in you. And really, that's been the journey for me of the last uh, 25 years or so, putting my trust in Jesus daily, like through all the ups and downs. And sometimes that's meant putting my trust in Jesus through tears many, many times. Coming to him and saying, Jesus, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know all the things but I choose to put my trust in you. And as I look back, and I've been looking back over the last few weeks actually, at the story of God's faithfulness in my life. Yes, it hasn't always been easy. Yes, my prayers haven't always been answered, but he has been so faithful, unbelievably faithful to me. And so if you're here and you're following Jesus, and you have been for some time, can I encourage you today, go back, go back and look at his faithfulness as you've put your trust in him. Others of you, you're probably here because, I don't know, somebody invited you, maybe a friend or a colleague, and you're here and you're thinking, who are all these crazy people in this church who are passionate about this person, Jesus? And maybe for you today, like as you've encountered him in in the worship, you might not know everything, you might not understand it all, but as you encounter him in this passage, perhaps today it's a moment for you to start, like I did all those years ago, to put your trust in Jesus. Jesus wants us to trust him to see that he's trustworthy and he loves it. He loves it when we have faith and we put our trust in him because it's about growing in relationship with him. He wants us to see that he's way more trustworthy than anybody we could possibly meet. And he couldn't have gone any bigger than he did on the cross. So that's the first thing, he's trustworthy. The second thing is he's restorative. Back to the passage. Is this microphone okay? Yeah, okay, great. Don't you just love how Jesus responds when he sees those friends' trust? Because Jesus responds in a way that nobody expected. Like it definitely got people thinking because he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And it's most likely, isn't it, that these friends were bought, the friends bought their friend to Jesus because he, for physical healing because he couldn't walk. But the first thing that Jesus talks about is forgiveness And the Pharisees are like, like, you know, it's rattling them. Because they're like, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it's difficult for us to see how radical it was that Jesus said to this guy, friend, your sins are forgiven. Because looking at this through our 2023 February kind of lens, you know, we're probably most offended and we're looking at it thinking, well, what's this man's need for healing got to do with sin? But back in the day, the thing that would have outraged the people the most, that's why they're asking these questions, is that Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive sins. You know, the religious establishment, they built their lives around temples and sacrifices and religious rituals for forgiving sins. And here is this random guy literally just saying that he can forgive sins. It was outrageous. And no wonder those Pharisees were like, what is going on? Because Jesus here was demonstrating something. He was demonstrating that He was Lord, and we're going to get onto that in a minute. But He was demonstrating that He had the power and the authority to forgive sins and ultimately to restore. And I believe that Jesus wants to restore all of us holistically. Like He's so gracious. And in this story, like He starts, doesn't He, with spiritual restoration, with the forgiveness of sins, but then He goes on to restore Him physically. And I wish I'd been in the room that day. I wish I'd seen it, like, literally in the room as, as like, whatever it was, tiles, straw, whatever, coming through the roof. This moment with the Pharisees and Jesus and the friends. But Jesus forgiving sins and restoring people, it is literally littered throughout the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, you see it time and time again. It's just what Jesus is like. Think about, I don't know, the woman caught in adultery or the way he is with the disciples when he calls them, or the bleeding woman, it's just what he's like. And if you read the New Testament, you'll see that's what happens with the early church. Think back over your life. Do you see Jesus restoring you? As I look over my life, I can can see his restoring fingerprints everywhere. You know, if you'd met me, some of you have when I was a lot younger. God has done a lot in my life. He's restored me. He's healed me and set me free. But there's also been times like, like I said earlier, unanswered prayer, pain, heartache. And it's in those moments where I don't get it, I don't understand it. But I hold on to the fact that one day, the Bible says that Jesus will return and he will restore all things. I see his restoring fingerprints all over this place. You know for the last 20 years here on Sundays in ministries he's always restoring people from the youngest to the oldest. Just the other week I heard in a staff meeting that some guys were at a prison and 17 of the 26 people in the room made a commitment to Jesus. I mean amazing. Jesus is trustworthy. He's restorative and he's also got the ultimate authority. Again, Luke is communicating to his audience about what Jesus is like. Look at the exchange he has with the Pharisees. Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Like, eyebrows would be raised here. Because the religious leaders at the time, they would have said that anybody who could forgive sins was basically saying that they were equal to God. And so, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, that's right. That's right. I'm equal to God. And this theme of Jesus having authority has already been developing in Luke's gospel. Some scriptures are going to come up for you just there. Jesus was teaching with an authority that set him apart from any of the other teachers in the day. An authority that meant like miracles that are happening everywhere. And because of this, people are already calling him Lord or Master. But it gets even more radical because Jesus uses that phrase the son of man. Did you see it in there? The son of man. And this is the first of 26 times that you'll see it in Luke's gospel. It's a weird phrase. And some of you might be thinking, well, what does that mean? Well, there's a little bit of debate about it. On the one hand, it's a bit of an idiom and it could kind of mean human being. But if you've ever read the Old Testament, this is like a moment, like alarm bells are running off. Because if you've read the book of Daniel, specifically chapter seven, what you'll see in there is that there's this mysterious figure who described a future figure called, listen to this, one like a son of man, who is given by God authority, glory, and sovereign power, and whose kingdom will never be destroyed. So it's like an aha, it's a moment of revelation. Because Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God and calls himself the son of man. And many scholars believe that Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of that character. And so Jesus says that he will prove that the son of man has authority over sins. Or in a way that he is the son of man talked about in Daniel. And so he forgives sins and he heals the paralyzed man. Can you see the kingdom in there? Can you see the kingdom of God? The miracle. The breakthrough the Son of God language, it all just screams like the kingdom of God and the Messiah. Just one chapter ago, Jesus rocks up, not rocks up, you know what I mean, turns up, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. And just one chapter later, he's demonstrating it. And he can do it because he has the ultimate authority because he is Lord. And I guess it leaves me thinking, and perhaps the question for us all today, if Jesus really is Lord... Is he actually Lord? Like, is he actually Lord of our lives? I remember about 10 years or so ago now, I hit a really rocky patch in my life. I was struggling. I'd taken a few knocks, and I was struggling in life and with my faith. And um, one day I was around Debbie's house, and uh, she was just praying for me, and she just said to me gently, she said, Susie, I think you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I, it was a massive wake-up call for me, and I said to her, Debbie, I can't. Like, I can't do that right now, because I can't say it with integrity. And like, it led me, not in that moment, but in the weeks and the months after it, to my knees. And I remember one moment where I was literally in my living room, like on my knees, crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, you have to be Lord. I put you back in charge. Lord of my dreams, Lord of my decisions, Lord of my time, my finances, my energy, my relationships... And years later now, it's not, I mean, I'm sure you won't be surprised to know, like I'm not nailing it in every area. Like I'm not perfect, surprising I know. But I have to keep coming back to him and saying you are the Lord because what happens is I just want to get back in charge again. I just want to get back on the throne and I'm not sure that I'm alone with that. So are there any areas of your life today where Jesus isn't Lord? If so, let's make him number one. You know, this passage reflecting on it, as I have been over these last couple of weeks, it's so well known. It's so well known, but I honestly think like, Jesus is wanting to reveal himself to us again today. On the one hand, like, it's a simple story, isn't it? A simple story about some guys who take their mate, get for a roof, get to Jesus, and he's healed. And in a sense, that is what the story is about, but it's pointing beyond itself. Because the Jesus that we see as we zoom in here on Luke chapter 5 is just like the Jesus that we saw last week. As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, like, look at him. He's so compassionate and kind and confident and powerful, gentle, steadfast. Look how he is with the vulnerable. Look how he is with the powerful. He's simply irresistible. As we we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the Jesus who is trustworthy, Jesus who restores, Jesus who has the ultimate authority, We've got to respond. And I wonder for today, that's where I kind of want to just finish this up. Like, how are we going to respond to who Jesus is? Like, both in our thoughts and in our actions. And those paralyzed, that paralyzed guy's friends, don't you love them? Don't you just love their audacity? Like, they had a genuine desperation and an expectation to do whatever it was going to take to get their mate in front of Jesus. And I'm challenged. Honestly, I'm challenged as I look at their attitude because we actually know way more about Jesus than they ever did. Like, think about it. Like, we live the other side of the resurrection. Death has been conquered. We have such a bigger perspective. And people in, this, in our nation and in the nations need to meet Jesus. Jesus. He is hope, and he is life, and many, many, many are open. I was encouraged the other week just to find that a credible piece of research called Talking Jesus found this, right? Listen to this. A third of non-Christians who had a conversation with a Christian wanted to know more. Just over a third of people were open to an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So I know statistics doesn't necessarily work like this, but you've only got to talk to three before you find somebody that's interested, (laughs) roughly. Roughly. Many people are open. What does it look like for you to bring your friends on a mat in front of Jesus? I don't know what it is. Praying for them at work this week. Coming up with somebody in a bit to get some prayer. Bringing them along to our baptism service in a few weeks, which, by the way, is going to be epic. So many people want to get baptised. Inviting them to Alpha, reading the Bible with them, praying for healing. What is it that God's asking of you? Just over the last couple of weekends, DTI, Dreaming the Impossible, our youth movement uh, across lots of churches across the nations, has been on a road trip. And uh, we've been to London and Bristol and Leeds. And last night we were here in Nottingham, home turf. And everywhere we've been, yeah, exactly. Every night we've been, every time we have seen young people get saved, meet Jesus, we've seen young people healed, we've seen young people set free. And last Sunday, last, and then last night, honestly, it was just amazing. Like the room was full of young people. And uh, my friend Lara spoke, and she was talking about being a culture, a culture shaper, not molded by culture. And at the end, in a chilled out kind of way, the way we do things, we just said, if you're here and you want to choose to follow Jesus or to recommit your life to him, why don't you come up? And honestly, all the way across this stage, to that painting over there, there was young people all the way across as we were able to pray with them. And start their journey with Jesus. It was incredible. Just after we said that, some of you really want to be bold in your faith. If that's you, why don't you, as a sign of surrender, come and kneel? There's young people all across the front of this floor surrender to look to the Lord. It was like you could see the t- like on their faces. Some of them just weeping. Some of them, some of them, just like joy. It was honestly incredible, incredible to see what God was doing. And uh, last Saturday we we're in London. Last Saturday night. And um, this young lady had come up for prayer with her mate, and her mate had her arm around her. And she was crying, and she told me that she'd been struggling big time with, with anxiety and panic attacks. But as she'd been stood in her row, she, and we'd prayed, come Holy Spirit, she had encountered something, like a peace that she'd never felt before, and so she knew she had to come. And so her mate had come with her. And um, so we started talking, and I said to her, do you know Jesus? And she says, I don't know Jesus, no, but I want to. I'm just so scared of making a mistake. I'm just not good enough. I'm going to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And so I looked at her and I said, when was the last time you think I made a mistake? And I was like, about two minutes ago. And I said, you know, we've talked about the cross. We talked about Jesus. That's why he came, paying for our sins, past, present, future. It's never about us being good enough. And so in that moment, that night, she met Jesus for the first time. Her life literally changed forever. Do you know why she was there in that room that night? Like I just literally happened to be there in that moment. But she was there because her mate, who had her arm around her, had metaphorically carried her on a mat to Jesus. She, as I got chatted to them, it turns out like she'd persisted. She'd invited her, her friend to come to youth, to come to church, to come on the road trip, coming up the front with her. Because her mate had seen something of Jesus. And she had to respond. I'm inspired by her. I don't know if you are. As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we've got to respond. That paralyzed man's life was transformed because he turned his eyes upon Jesus. Jesus who is trustworthy, who restores, who has the ultimate authority. And I wonder, I wonder when was the last time that you did something so audacious to get somebody in front of Jesus. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? Because if we really believe Jesus and that his message have power, then why aren't we? And I include myself in the we. Why aren't we more anxious to share it? I finished with this story. I came across this story about a guy called Charlie Peace, a well-known criminal who was due to be hung in 1854. On the day of his hanging, a ceremony was to be held was held by the local church and Charlie marched through the streets of people towards the gallows. And as he did the priest was reading a prayer from a prayer book about what life separated from Jesus forever looks like for those who die. And Charlie finds himself turning towards the priest and shouting over and over. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And the priest, who's a bit shocked, cautiously answers, well, I suppose I do. And then Charlie said something amazing. He said, well, I don't. But if I did, I'd get down on my hands and knees and I'd crawl all over Great Britain, even if it were paved with pieces of broken glass If I could just rescue one person from what you just told me. An incredible story. If this stuff is real, which I believe it is, in our hands, we have the hope for the world. We have Jesus, trustworthy, restorative, the Lord. And we have to offer it to a hurting world. As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we've got to respond. So what are we going to do this week to get Jesus, to get our friends in front of Jesus? Like what roofs are we, metaphorically speaking, are we willing to make? Are we willing to break? What risks to take to set up a meeting between somebody who doesn't know Jesus and Jesus?